Hello and welcome to On Mission, a podcast by the Catholic Apostolate Center. My name is Kate Fowler and I am joined by Chris Pierno and Father Frank Donio, and we will be discussing anointing of the sick, sickness, and dying with project coordinator Ryan Rood. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. I'm very uh, happy and honored to be with you all. So tonight we will be discussing, like I mentioned, anointing of the sick and the, the sickness and dying and how we can accompany those that are suffering. And I really just wanted to start off by asking each of you a little bit about your experience with the sacrament of anointing of the sick, your understanding of it. Have you ever been able to accompany someone who has been, who has received that sacrament? Well, my experience uh, with the anointing is is purely academic. Uh, I, I took a course that dove deeply into into the sacrament uh, while an undergrad at Catholic University. But myself have never um, uh, never received the sacrament, never seen someone else receive it. You know, I've I've had two very close family members pass away over the last couple of years, um, but neither of them were, were Catholic. So, you know, while, you know, aspects of the sacrament, uh, uh, the, the prayer, uh, the community gathering together, while these things um, were very present, um, they weren't specifically in, in the sacrament. I, I have never, um, I have never experienced it myself or or have witnessed it or been present uh, during an anointing. Uh, I, I've never taken a course in it, unlike Brian, but I, I think my understanding of it is very purely um, from the from what I have been catechized with and the idea behind, you know, this is the idea behind, A, this is not necessarily something you only receive when you are dying or about to die, um, um, it is instead something that you can receive multiple times. Um, you know, if if you are in a situation where you are you are very sick, and I think that that uh, is one of the things that people often uh, don't really understand about it. So I, you know, that's something I think maybe perhaps a lot of our listeners too are a little confused about. Kate, what's been your experience? So I grew up definitely aware of the sacrament as something that was administered in times where possible death could occur or in times of a more serious illness, you know, before surgeries, before procedures, it was talked about or in in my family at some points administered prior I was thinking about it. My father had an open heart surgery that was an emergency surgery when I was in high school. And I was trying to, to think about whether or not he had received the, the sacrament prior to that. And I, I honestly don't think he had time. He went in for an outpatient procedure. And that afternoon they said, you have to decide now. We have to perform a surgery immediately. So it, it I... It, it was always, though, talked about, and there were times at various points in my life where friends and family received that. 
my mom also suffers from some chronic pain. And so there have been times throughout her, her suffering that she has received that. So I've definitely been aware of it. My grandmother passed away last year and she had a very beautiful experience of death in terms of the sacraments. My uncle is a priest and he was able to administer the anointing of the sick to give her the Eucharist and um, to hear her confession. And so those are all just very beautiful practices that the Catholic church, that, that, traditions that we practice and also part of the sacrament that is administered. So that's a little bit about my experience. Father, have you been able to administer that? I'm sure many times throughout your priesthood now. Yeah. After 26 years of being a priest, (laughs) a a lot. And especially in my years when I was in Baltimore and we were between where St. Jude Shrine is located in downtown Baltimore it's near University of Maryland Medical Center, which is a large teaching hospital. And then you also have Johns Hopkins there, as well as a number of other hospitals. And plus, because it was St. Jude Shrine, we had many people who had very significant illness. And so anointing of the sick was part of the pastoral practice there on a regular basis when people would request it. We also had a lot of confessions and masses and so forth and novena devotions, but but the anointing of the sick was something that was rather significant. And it was always a, a, a beautiful thing to be able to anoint someone prior to their surgery or they're in the midst of a very challenging illness, or when I would be at a bedside and in a hospital or in a person's home, and to experience what that is like. And, and at times, that, that can be a real challenge. It's, uh, it's something that is, is important to, to always recognize the, the history that goes along with this, which was associated with the quote-unquote last rites. And people still use that term. You know, we, we have to have somebody right there and where that is a, is dying has a different aspect to it in terms of what the church is teaching. And it it's, can be inclusive of anointing, but the when looking at anointing of the sick rather than extreme unction, which was the, the, the so-called last rites, the understanding of the church is widened in terms of of the availability of the sacrament. Uh, but there is still that mentality that's that's there, especially if a priest shows up at a hospital door um, uh, for some. It's, it becomes a very, can be a very scary moment for, for some people. And then to kind of calm them and say, this is what we're, we're called to do as church now, to be present to you in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Brian, in your class, when you were uh, doing the class and, and you went through the, the ritual, what were some of the things that they, I mean, it was interesting that there would be an undergraduate class that would, would focus on that. But what did you find interesting in, in terms of the ritual? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people 
people take it because maybe it, it doesn't look like a normal theology class. And, you know, it's not just like God 101. But it, it really shows that class and any, any look into the sacrament really shows the depth of the sacrament itself. And what I think is all the more fascinating is that the sacrament can really, in almost its entirety, be just traced back to one little section from the letter of James. Right. So, so James 5, 13 to 15 is where this all, this all comes from. And, and it, it points us in actually a few different directions that tie us back to, to the Old Testament and, and to the life of Jesus and then point us in the direction of, of where we're heading, right? That, that we're striving, striving for, for heaven. So the sacrament itself has what can be called a, a, threefold ritual center. Lizette Larson Miller calls it that in, in her book on the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And again, you, if you just go kind of line by line of that, that bit from James, um, you get that threefold center. And so when we think anointing of the sick, right, we think the actual anointing um, with oil, but there's two other key parts of uh, the sacrament that come directly from James with one little exception, right? So, so the, the sacrament involves this beautiful prayer of faith. And right at the beginning of, of, of this part of James, he says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. And so this prayer reminds us that God is in control, right? This little, this little phrase. But that we seek the spirit to enter in to the, the, the moment that we find ourselves in, both the one who is sick, the one the priest who is who is giving the sacrament and those who hopefully can gather with the, with the person and it happens at various times throughout throughout the sacrament through a litany of intercession a prayer of anointing and the prayer after anointing but it, again it reminds us that we do all things in trust that god is the one who's in control and it's not it's not our efforts that are at work here necessarily but that of god and then you get to the laying on of hands, which we find in, in other expressions right in, in our faith uh, at, uh, at the Sacrament of Holy Orders. But here, it's interesting because laying on of hands is the one part of the sacrament that you don't find in this passage uh, from, from James. But it reminds us of, of Jesus's healing touch that so often he he healed people through just simply touching them. I mean, you can think of, of the blind man, right? That Jesus, uh, you know, picks dirt off the ground and, and makes it in the mud and rubs it on his eyes. His physical touch is so important. And also reminds us of the necessity and the importance of physical contact between people and how important that is. And we can see that now, you know, we're in the midst of COVID and with social distancing and just how special it is when you see a loved one that you haven't seen in a long time to be able just to, I mean, maybe to give them a hug or, or even just to, to hold their hand for a brief second. Um, and then this last part of the sacrament, the anointing itself, in, in, which comes up in, in the 14th line of, of, of the fifth chapter. Is anyone among you sick? They should summon the presbyters of the church and they should pray over him and anoint him with oil. And oil is all mixed in throughout 
the scriptures, uh, you know, we see it in, in the Psalms and Isaiah and in, and in the New Testament in, in Mark and here in James, but also oil is something we're familiar with in our sacraments, right? Oil is used in baptism and confirmation and holy orders. And so, you know, we, we think of the chrism mass where we get this oil. And I think it's beautiful that there's one of the, I don't want to call it a stipulation. I don't want it to sound rigid, but one of the, the guides of the sacrament, right, is that the oil should be seen and felt because that's what the sacraments are. They're tangible. And so part of that, whereas the oil isn't going to heal in, in the way that if someone is, is going for their last round of chemotherapy, that the oil isn't going to be that which heals them. But the sacrament itself has that healing ability. And so the oil acts as that, that tangible mark that we feel. And it's just, it's a really a beautiful sacrament when you get the chance to kind of parse through its depth and, and to move away from exactly what we were just talking about with this, you know, how, uh, how it can be seen as kind of this extreme measure, but, but really seen as, as, as a grace, which is what it is. When I was a deacon, I was in a university of Maryland hospital uh, for a pastoral internship. And I got very frustrated that I couldn't anoint and I knew why I couldn't, but I ended up as a result of that doing a whole master's for my master of divinity, a whole reflection, pastoral reflection on deacons and anointing and, and the why they couldn't because it comes from that line of James that you mentioned. And so what the, when partially because the, it's not only the line of James, but there is forgiveness of sins and only the priest or the bishop can forgive sins. And so there's a, while it is not a forgiveness of mortal sin, just like when you receive the Eucharist, there's a forgiveness of venial sin when the priest anoints. It's one of the reasons why there's also the opportunity for confession beforehand and an absolution to prepare the person to receive the anointing as well. That's, that's within there. But if you can't do that, there is, and there's also then if somebody's dying, the apostolic pardon, special prayer that the priest prays uh, as well and, and, and can forgive sins. So temporal punishment due to the sin. But when you look at this, this anointing and what the priest says, first he anoints the forehead saying, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then he anoints the hands. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. And, and so it's in those, those words that we're, we, we take, it, take it one step further in, in that the, the sacrament you had the laying on of hands, and then that anointing um, that is is the, the the spiritual healing that is offered by the church in the in the sacrament, and that, as you said, is based in James. So, Father, you and Brian have touched on some of the effects of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and one of those, God willing, is the restoration of health or healing. If if it is conducive to the salvation of his or her soul. This is from the catechism. Another is, like you said, Father, the imparting of forgiveness of sins. 
And then there are a couple other effects of this uh, sacrament. And those are uniting the sick person to the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church, giving the sick person the strength, peace, and courage to endure in a Christian manner the suffering, and also the helping of the sick person in preparation for passing over to eternal life. So there are about five effects of the anointing of the sick sacrament. And it, it re- there really is so much more to it than, than just, you know, helping someone pass into, into death if that is, that is what will occur. But also just this helping of, of the person, giving them hope, peace during this time. It really is a beautiful part of the ministry of healing, which is such a vital component of the body of Christ. What have been some of your experiences, Brian, you had mentioned a, a couple of your own, but experiences of when being in the presence of or having to be in that journey of sickness, that a significant illness that a person might be going through, um, or even if it's just day-to-day sickness. I mean, uh, Kate, Chris, you, you know, you have children and, you know, one of the greatest things that I think is 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 challenging for parents is when their their kid gets sick. And so, what are some of your experiences around some of the the faith aspects? Like, where does faith play into this? I for for me, I I think I in some ways, you know, I say I, I'm I guess I fortunate I have not like I said, experienced it myself or had witness to this. I, I haven't had the, you know, the, 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 someone in my life closer otherwise, you know, to be in the position where maybe this has, has this anointing has had to take place or, or been in a position where maybe the possibility of that. But one thing that kind of what you mentioned, Father, kids brought back a very strong memory that you know doesn't necessarily have to do with anyone being sick but being in a hospital and one of the things that you touched on briefly too is that availability that the if this is something that you want that as a you know that it is something that you are that is available to you. And there's the idea that whether you are alone or with family, that there is, you know, a priest or a deacon or someone that can come from our faith. And even sometimes just a, a lay person to be, to have this ministry of someone to be able to come around and pray, or in some cases perform the sacrament is just, I, it's just something that has always been a comfort to me that if I needed it or if someone that I loved needed it, that it is something that, you know, we can, we can have access to. And it doesn't even have to be from, you know, a priest or someone that, you know, but that's the fact that, you know, and I'm, as you probably had done many times, you didn't necessarily know the person that you were going to, to, to pray with. But just the fact that this is something that is a normal occurrence and we see it as 
essential is a beautiful thing. And, and again, not associated necessarily with sickness, but when I was in the hospital, um, my child was born the next day. It was over a weekend and it was Sunday the day we were leaving the hospital and it didn't really occur to us that it was Sunday. We had been there for three days already, but there was a knock at the door and it was uh, a purse, just a, ma- a man, a lay person. And he's like, uh, you guys Catholic, huh? Uh, you know, do, do you want to receive communion? And just m- my wife burst into tears that, that, that this is something that was even that people were doing that, you know, and that I think, maybe in a convoluted way that experience and the feeling that of comfort as I one that I hope to be able to experience you know if I'm sick or if someone that I love is sick that I hope that that you know is available you know I think um I think especially when you're looking at at experiences of journeying with someone through well journeying with with a, um, an, an adult or an older uh, older child through ex- serious illness and not speaking from experience here but but you know maybe even a young child as well what you find what i have found in in this uh when, when you are, are journeying with someone who is seriously ill is that you learn that words at some point, kind of stop mattering. And I know, Father Frank, we've talked about this plenty before, in that, you know, for for example, with my dad, when my dad was sick before he passed away, there were long periods of time where he was either not conscious, conscious or was conscious, but physically could not speak for whatever reason. And so, especially when he was unable, when he was unconscious, I mean, there were there were times where where I would talk to him, but there were times where you know words just really weren't going to be what mattered at that at that point, or times where he couldn't respond to me, and so there were times uh, certainly where where conversation, one way conversation was good, but there were other times where it's where you learn the importance of presence, which is so awkward for us in the twenty first century in the United States where everything is is about doing. To not do, but just to be, and to learn the importance of simply just being present. And again, in, similar to the laying on of hands in the sacrament, the importance of, of, of physical touch. That in some instances, the physical touch and the simply just being present to a person can speak, so to say, so much louder than any words can. Because sometimes we'll find, I have found that words just kind of come out and they're not really for the other person. They're not to be, to be really present to them, but they're out of nervousness or they're for me. And sometimes that's okay. But other times, you know, what sickness really teaches you is the importance of being with a person and how we kind of take that for granted on a day to day, but how beautiful that is. And how it kind of, it, the superficial stuff kind of begins to pass away. 
And we find ourselves encountering each other as human beings and as children of God that don't need the frills. You begin to see, you begin and can hopefully continue to see the person as the person. And so, you know, I reflected a lot on, on Mary at the foot of the cross as this model of, of uh, quiet compassion. And so I think that's, it's something for us to think about, even if we're not in a situation where we're, we're ourselves or someone who we know is, is suffering or sick, but, but for us to think about before we get to that point uh, and to think, and especially to meditate on, on the Blessed Mother, the foot of the cross. I think you touched on a really good point, Brian, and that's just the ministry of presence to people that are experiencing illness or suffering, the importance of recognizing a person's dignity throughout that time and just being there and and suffering with, which is what the word compassion comes from. I think as a mom too, I'm, I'm realizing that that's really all that my children usually need when they're sick. They need to know that mom and dad are there. And to them, that tells them that everything is going to be okay. And I think that that's a really good example of, of what we all truly need. Someone to accompany us in suffering and illness and with the potential prospect of death, because that is not originally what human beings were made for. We were not created for suffering and death in God's original plan. And so it's completely normal to feel fearful or, or uncertain or confused. And so having someone to be with us, to walk with us through those times is so important. And we don't need to have theology degrees. We don't need to be ordained. We don't need to work for the church to do that especially as baptized people, we are all baptized into Christ's ministry and that includes healing. And so we can do that in many different ways, starting with our own family. I know we experienced as a family a lot of suffering when I was ending middle school and entering high school. A lot of my close family um, either passed away or battled cancer my father had open heart surgery. And so at a young age, we really, I really had to grapple a lot with the, the reality of suffering that we all know is there, but I had to kind of face that repeatedly uh, at a young age. And it's taken me a long time to really process a lot of those things and to enter into the suffering, which is another component of suffering, entering into it. And we talked a little bit about, you know, how one of the effects of the anointing of the sick was was being united in a special way to Christ's passion. And I think it's so easy to want to reject suffering, to want to just be healed, to want to erase it and to move on without pausing to realize that even if it wasn't what we were created for, Christ has redeemed that suffering and invites us into the redemption that he offers through the cross. And so I think a lot of our Christian life is reorienting or re refocusing or, or just looking at suffering in a new way. And that is as a path closer to Christ. 
because we just simply cannot eliminate suffering from the world, how can it still bear fruit? How can we grow? How can God still work there? And so that is something that I think we, we continue to do. And I love that you talked, Brian, about the scripture with Mary at the cross. And I, I think, too, of, of Jesus in the garden, who he was praying to his father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass me. Even he saw sort of the ugliness, you know, of suffering. And yet, not as I will, but as you will. And, you know, I just, I love thinking about the fact that Christ was vulnerable in, in a certain way and was honest with his father and could do that before taking up his cross and inviting each of his followers to do so and to do so daily. And to be with people in the, in the garden moment in the moment in which people realize that they're coming to the end of, of life on, on this earth. And that has been in, in priesthood, a very profound reality there. The number of times where I've left a bedside and left someone and said, that will be the last time I'll see this person on this side of life. And it's, no matter how often it's happened, one doesn't quite get used to it. And in, in some instances, they've been people who have been very important figures in my life. And that, I remember just in the last year and a half or so, when someone who really was the, the family's a second family to me and in journeying with the, with the family as the mother got sicker and sicker and I had already journeyed with the father some almost decade before. And, and then leaving the house and saying, this is the last time I'm going to, I will, will see her on, alive on this side of life. And it was, it was just very striking. And yet still having that hope because this person was at peace. We, we had celebrated the sacrament. We had taken the time. And she was at peace and was ready in a way that even I wasn't ready. But I helped to prepare her for what she knew was coming. And she was a nurse on top of it all. And that was... It was still, it was a very striking moment. And at that point I was, you know, uh, over 25 years ordained. And in fact, she had been at the celebration for, for my 25th anniversary. And so that, that you, there's always a, a, a learning and experience that goes along with this type of, uh, of, in, of encounter as we recognize our own mortality. And that we, and I think the pandemic's kind of brought that home to people in a pretty significant way because we look at what our, our situation is and how much we're not in control. And sickness and suffering and dying and death are very, the very clear reminders of that. But yet, we, we often kind of push that aside 
and I think it's a it's an important it's important for us as as Catholics to not be morbid because we have hope in the risen Christ and our faith in him and that we we have eternal eternal life as an opportunity for us and that the sacrament of anointing the sick and particularly viaticum you know when for the person who is dying which is the final communion and the prayers for the person who's dying prepare us for the journey as catholics and it's a a tremendously beautiful thing the way the church is so present what christ has left us to be present in this way brian you have any further like a closing thought yeah you know i think father you you made this i think great point that it, that it's really important when we think about sickness and dying and the sacrament is that it's a, it's a journey for all of us and it's really easy to think about it being a journey for the one who is ill the one who is suffering but i'm sure as you can attest to you know over 25 years of priest and uh, and 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 being with people, uh, you know, it's not like the first time you walked into a hospital room to anoint someone who is sick. That 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 was it, right? Like that that those weren't your warm up pitches to get ready for the rest of of your life as a priest. And it's the same with all any of us who are ill or who are journeying with someone who is, whether it's a short term illness, however serious it might be, or or someone who's nearing the end of their life and remembering that, yes, we do unite our suffering. We hope that the person who's ill unites their suffering with the risen Lord. And Kate, you made such a great point about Christ in the garden, but remembering that, that Christ is what, what we strive for. We strive for this imitation of Jesus who was true God and true man. And so while Christ was healer, and all of this comes back to Christ's ministry as a healer. We also have to remember that Christ was mocked and beaten and abused and crucified. And we can find solace in both. And on this journey, at times, we might be the healer. Not in the same way that Christ was, obviously. But at other times, we very well might, might find ourselves whether we're ill or journeying with someone who is as Christ carrying the cross, Christ in front of the Sanhedrin. We might find ourselves as Christ, like Kate said in the garden, just pleading for this, for this cup to be taken from our hands or on the cross shouting to God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And in every moment, Christ, who was both mocked and beaten, Christ, who was healer, is with us. And in those moments of pain, in those moments where we're journeying and trying to find our way, in those moments of anger and sadness and confusion, God doesn't leave us. And so when we embark on this journey that we will all will face in some way, shape, or form, some through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, some, some not, that the Lord continues to be with us. 
and he journeys with us as we journey and as we grow closer to him and closer to his church through all that he's given us in these sacraments. And, you know, you learn in, in elementary school, right? What's a sacrament? An outward sign of an inward grace. And it can become kind of this thing that you just is, is pounded into your head. But, you know, as we've talked about the sacrament, as we've talked about joining ourselves in prayer and community with those who are ill, it really reveals those inward graces. And so to reflect upon that is, as we journey together in sickness and in health, that the Lord will continue to be with us and he never leaves us. He never abandons us. And it's okay. Whatever you're feeling, the sadness, the anger, the happiness, the joy, the sorrow, the Lord remains with us at all times. And that is what gives us hope. And that is what gives us peace because he's promised us that he will never leave. And so in the midst of the greatest suffering, we remain, we remain in hope with the risen Lord. Thank you very much, Brian. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on our podcast today. This wraps up another episode of On Mission by the Catholic Apostolate Center. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Find us and other Center podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or catholicapostolatecenter.org. Thank you again for listening to this podcast by the Catholic Apostolate Center. We are proud to announce the new website and three distinct channels for all center-related podcasts. You will be able to easily find and listen to your favorite blogcasts, reflections, and on-mission episodes. Please go to catholicapostolatecenterpodcasts.com or search Catholic Apostolate Center wherever you find your podcasts and subscribe to Catholic Apostolate Center Reflections, Resources, and the On Mission Channels. Thank you.